0: Okay, well, welcome, Michael. Um, Thank you for joining on the Gwyn Huddle. Um, We met um, about three years ago with um, Milan, and you were one of the first experienced individuals we actually met in the industry when we were creating Gwyn Records, kind of creating a a label without really realizing we were creating a label. And Mm -hmm. you asked us the big question of, why the world you know doesn't need another record label and by the end of our conversation together we decided that the world did need an artist friendly label
1: yes
0: and so that's what we've been building um with your help as well for the last four years
1: and is it more like five now
0: I think yeah in total it was five years but I think since we met each other I think it was yeah
1: yeah yeah Mm-hmm. Like four years
0: four years ago. Yeah. COVID kinda
1: Yeah
0: <laughs> uses my timeline.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Yes.
0: yes. Um but but separate from that, you have an incredible background which um never gets old to hear for me. Oh. And I think it's it's only fair to start by asking, you know how and and why you got into music in the first place.
1: Okay, yeah. So I've, <laughs> I've been in music my whole entire life. This is all I've ever done. I've always wanted, even since I was a little boy. I started playing when I was piano when I was like five or six years old. Um, but even before that, just music. The world sounds like music to me. Like the birds, the car horns, the you know the rain, the rhythm. Everything was music. So I was, I was taken by music, you know, at a very early age. And so I'm from the south side of Chicago, uh, which is where I started to learn to play, you know, through my godmother, I call her my godmother. Uh, My mom's best friend taught me what she knew uh, from playing in the church. And then when they saw I was serious, uh, we got more formal lessons. Uh, But I like to say I was, you know, I was formally taught, but I also learned in the street. So, you know, radio and just learning by ear. And then um, as I got older, you know, I got more advanced and just, I was leading bands at 10 years old, 11 years old. I didn't even know. That's, I was called a music director at that time. The, the kids in the neighborhood were just like, oh, you seem to know what you're doing. Like, So I was just telling the band how to play and where to go and arranging and doing all that stuff when I was very young. Uh, Fast forward to my high school years where I just got with other kids that were talented and just really learned about music and how to play with some great uh, uh, band directors and leaders that I had that were like mentors for me. Uh, Then I went on to college uh, where I got a scholarship to go to Howard University, where there were also even more talented kids than me. And I and I just had to figure out, wow, there are a lot of talented people in the world and I need to do more work. And so I did that And D.C., uh, especially at that time, was a great training ground on how to play music and it's just how to be a musician, how to gig. Besides the formal teaching and learning from your friends and jam sessions and all that kind of stuff. And then um, after college, I moved to New York, uh, found an apartment, sight unseen. I didn't even see it. Just a friend recommended it. Moved all everything I owned into a three-story walk-up. No kitchen, sharing a bathroom with a family down the hall. And I was just happy to be in New York because at that time, that's where the whole business was. And that's where you can make it. Like the song says, you make it there, you make it anywhere. And so I just wanted right. to make it in New York. Uh, it was a struggle for a minute when I first moved there, just to live to the landscape, just to figure out what the scene was. Um, I eventually got a handle on that and started getting noticed uh, started getting gigs and started you know traveling the world with jazz artists, and then you know some pop artists and doing, started doing records, and it just started to mushroom. I think my first big break in the business, though. Probably about five or six years after I moved to New York, five years or so, was Whitney Houston, mm-hmm. uh, and I was able to land that gig uh, in her heyday. And so I, when she sang this at the Super Bowl, the band was there, and you know all that whole era of of, of Nip Whitney. We call her Nip. Nippy is her nickname. I call her Nip, <laughs> and um, from there. Wow! I I haven't stopped. So, you know, Whitney turned into Madonna, turned into Jennifer Lopez, turned into Michael Jackson, turned into Lady Gaga, uh, who I've been her music director now for, this is my 11th year with her, uh, which is crazy after all of these years. And in there, in between, there's Oscars, there's Grammys, there's me leading the Emmys, there's Tons of artists. I've worked with 500 artists now. We keep a list, uh, which is even crazy when I look at it. So, yeah, that's the long-winded cliff note version of yeah. how I got into this.
0: And how how does it, you know, after five, six years of living in New York and having the opportunity of, of meeting someone like Whitney Houston, how did was how even that interaction of of being in a room with someone at that level at the time. Was she Whitney Houston at the time or was she still earlier on in her?
1: No, career? no, no. She was Whitney Houston <laughs> at that time. Everybody knew who she was. She had all her hits by then. And well, not all mm-hmm. of them, but like the majority of what made her uh, Whitney Houston. Uh, that interact. I mean, you know, it's funny because I, I had interacted with stars my whole life pretty much, you know? So I was mentored, uh, but there's a famous jazz pianist named Ramsey Lewis. So his sons went to my high school. And, you know, I used to go to Ramsey's house when I was a teenager. And, you know, I played with him when I was very young. Uh, you know, Herbie Hancock, uh, I count as a mentor as well. He, also from Chicago, the very famous, you know, keyboardist, producer, pianist, uh, Herbie, I met when I was young. Quincy, I met when I was young. Uh, Stevie Wonder, I met when I was like a teenager. (laughs) So, you know, I. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Stevie's so funny. He, he, you know, the the last time I hung out with him, um, you know, a couple years ago, I mean, I I talked to him, you know, fairly often. When I last, when I hung out with him, he, he was telling everybody I was I, I was his protege. I was like, I'm not your uh-huh. protege. I'm not your protege. But he like he just likes to because I met him so young and so yeah. interacting with 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 stars wasn't the thing. But Whitney Nip at that time, she was so she was a huge star at the time, but she was just like your big sister. Like she mm-hmm. uh, she was like my big sister, and she was warm. and She wanted everything to feel like family and you know, it was, it was great interacting with her. And I, at the time I got that gig, I really needed a gig, uh, in my life. That's a longer story, but, uh, yeah, I really needed that. So she came along at the right time in my life.
0: Nice. Amazing. And, um, I guess through working with all of these incredible people, what's, the one project that you're most proud of of being a part i'm sure there are many
1: (laughs) oh my gosh you know what's funny i can't even it's hard to remember all the all the things because as i stated earlier you know music is my life i've never done anything else like i never went to a job in an interview and punched a time clock and i've never done that i've only done music for my entire adult life and um so there's and there's in many configurations, so it's not just pop music and it's not just jazz and it's just not r and b and funk, it's country, it's hip hop, it's classical artists I work with, you know there's world artists. we did a whole big concert uh the pr- producer was the great uh late Phil Ramon who produced. So many people: Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen, all these people. Mm. Uh, And I was asked to do that show, and there were so many world artists, world art—you know, people from Israel, people from Palestine, uh, you know, bands from you know all over the world that we did. We did a concert for the Dalai Lama in Syracuse. So my resume is 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 vast and open. So I don't know the one project. Oh, uh, this, <laughs> the Misha. there's so many, I mean, yeah. you know, the ones that I'm that's known, the, the ones that I'm known for, like I'm known for being Michael Jackson's music director for this is it the mm-hmm. tour that did not happen. Um, because Michael passed. And so it was going to be probably the greatest tour ever. Yeah. And we had,
0: we had tickets as a kid. I remember. Oh wow!
1: <laughs> that's yeah. always amazing when you guys tell me that. So that, you know, I'm, I'm, And because I'm so, I was so, such a fan of Michael as a kid growing up on the South Side, you know, there weren't too many stars that young that looked like me and my brothers. And so, you know, that was the first concert I ever saw was the Jackson 5. And then going back in the car, I was like, I want to be his friend. And like, as a boy, not only was I his friend, I led his whole musical, you know, empire, basically, <laughs> at the yeah. end of this life, he trusted me with that. So that, what a full circle. So Michael, I mean, it is, you know, the Super Bowl that I did with Gaga, I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Emmy nominations aside, we just, we just put in the work that made it just, you know, feel great for just 13 minutes they gave us, but it felt like a whole big concert that we did. And so, you know, those those are some of the, the highlights, all all the stuff with Whitney, uh, okay. I'm proud of all of that. So yeah,
0: always always love when you when you're introducing yourself to a new artist and and you casually say, you know, um you know the keys on "I Will Always Love You," like that was me. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like, you're such a humble person, but it's such a like iconic song and and project to have been a part of.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was that was great to be a part of. I'm, you know. I'm, me and Bette Sussman were in Whitney's band at the time. And, you know, she had called us down to, all of us down to, to do that song. Little did we know it was going to be this, right. that big, that iconic. But, you know, I know, you know, when we talk to our artists uh, for this label, I, you know, everybody's so young. I don't assume people know things. That, I mean, yeah. Although that is, you know, an iconic piece. Right. Um, but, you know.
0: Yeah um what what was one of like the most impactful lessons for you you know having worked with with someone like Michael Jackson um I mean from the outside he seemed like a very you know profound person who always believed in world peace and and Mm -hmm. you're you know one of the very few people that did work with him behind the scenes and, and was very close with him so are there any lessons that you kind of carry with you Today, oh my,
1: that you remember. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, MJ and I would often, sometimes he didn't feel like physically going into the band room or dance even. You know, we would just work by candlelight. If you like candlelight, oh. Um, so, and so we would just work just talking about the show and trying to put a set list together, which we never got to because he had so many songs. Like, and right. anytime I tried to cut one, he would just be like, oh no. Like, it would just you know he wanted to give everything to the fans and I was like MJ we can't do everything because you'd be on stage for like two weeks like you know so but oftentimes we would just talk about life and talk about you know the world and you know he was very aware of everything Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of people don't realize why the last tour was called this is it and he told me and Kenny and Travis, uh, Kenny was the director, Travis was the choreographer, that um, the reason it was called this is it was two reasons. One, uh, that he was very aware of climate change and he didn't want to, you know, as he said, I don't want us to burn up, like, you know, the ozone and all that, he was very aware of that. And he was like, if we don't get this together, if we don't get a handle on it, this is it. We don't. We only have one planet, you know, that we know of that we can, you know, live in. So that was one reason. And the other reason was why um, his kids were old enough at that time to understand what their father did, like for real, for a living, and just to really comprehend what he did. So he was like, and then after I do this, this is it. (laughs) Like, I'm not, I'm probably not going to do it. Although towards the end of, you know, his life, as we were getting closer to go to London, He was getting stronger and stronger, and just you know, really more excited about performing, and uh, was even thinking beyond uh, London. So uh, I carry a lot of. He was he was one of the most kind artists that I I remember working with him at the 30th anniversary concert at the Garden with him and his brothers, and I worked with him and his brothers and everybody else on the show right before 911 happened. Uh, uh, But I think he had to go. One day in rehearsal, he had to go to like MTV or something. So he pulled everybody in a circle and apologized that he would miss some of rehearsal, but yeah. he would be back. And i and we were like, uh, dude, like, <laughs> you're Michael Jackson. And it was just, I just thought it was the most amazing thing because artists, you know, a lot of artists don't do that. So yeah, this is so many I would take up this whole time talking about him as far as, you know, life outlook. He was definitely kind and, I really think misunderstood uh a lot so yeah okay
0: thank you um i guess um you know <laughs> having worked with all of these legacy artists um and someone like michael jackson who was you know developed from such a young age um mm-hmm. do you think that artist development is what creates legacy artists um like the ones that you've created uh, or worked with or, you know, cause I, I feel like it's, it's kind of died out over the the years and, and what the music industry has kind of become now. Do you think, you know, it's still important to be doing for all artists of all ages?
1: Yeah. See, now you asking me my soapbox questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, what has happened in my, in my estimation so when I was coming up, there were no, you know, smartphones and there were no, there was no social media and there was no thing, you know, all of this thing, technology, basically. Uh, I mean, it was technology, but there was, it wasn't so prevalent. So you had to actually learn how to play your instrument. And you really wanted to be good and you wanted, you really wanted an individual sound you know, we all listen to everybody. That's how you learn. That as a musician, as a singer, uh, as a creative, you you learn from what's created before you. Uh, but then you synthesize it, internalize it, and make it your own. And then try to come up with something new. Um, technology has helped a lot in. Uh, leveling the playing field, you know, I remember we had to go to the studio and spend money on studio time and buy two-inch tape and all, and hire engineers and all that. Now you can record in your house. Uh, I remember going out with Whitney and a whole band had studios and the roadies uh, used to have to bring that stuff in. And we had big pieces and they were mad at us. And now everybody can just carry it in a laptop. So in that instance, it's been great. But what the problem is, or the challenge, because I don't like problems, is that now because it's so accessible and everybody thinks that they can do it because they have prepackaged beats and prepackaged chords. And you just throw some things on top of it and then throw, you know, some bars on top of it or sing on top of it that you're an artist. And that's just not the case because the, the fundamentals are not there with a lot of artists, you know, so these legacy artists like Michael, like I try to get him to wear in-ear monitors, which are better for us on the stage and better for the sound engineers and all that. And he absolutely hated them mm-hmm. because he grew up listening to just wedges and you just want to, you just sing, and you just deal with the sound issues. And so you had to learn how to sing. You had to learn how to dance. You had to learn how to project to the audience. You had to learn how to Tell a story of the song, um, as we do at our at our label, telling stories. Um, so a lot of that is gone now. A lot of that artist development is gone because artists don't get developed. And then, if you exacerbate that with taking music out of schools, so even the people who don't want to be in the arts, they can at least have an appreciation for what it is, and they'll know what's really good and what's not. So the level, the bar is non existent anymore. There's no there's no bar for people to really differentiate what's really good and what's not. And I I often compare that like so if I wish music wasn't so subjective and art in general wasn't so subjective. Say like for instance if you're on a basketball team, if you're on if you're in the NBA, if you made it to the NBA, there's only like 400 slots or something like that. I don't, I forgot mm-hmm. the number. But the, even the guy who doesn't get many minutes in the game and just really is on the practice squad can still wear out anybody that's just playing at like West 4th Street in New York on the court because they had to go through something to get to that level. You know, that's right. not to say that there's a lot. Everybody in the NBA deserves to be there or there's no guys that are not in the NBA that could be there, but the ones that are there can really play. Okay. And that's not true in the music business a lot of the people who are popular or you know have have risen into whatever these heights are aren't necessarily great at their craft they just got popular or something with viral or they are the flavor of the day so artist development especially for longevity if that's what you want Mm -hmm. you really you really have to dig into your fundamentals look you can only talk about popping bottles and Parties and you can only talk about the same thing so many times. For people, just get bored. Right. Uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen. You know, I, I recently just did a film, and somebody's talking about Springsteen, and he said he ain't had a hit in thirty years, but those concerts still sell out. I don't know if that's true, but his concerts still do sell out. He may not have had a radio hit in a long time, but the people know what they're gonna get when they come see him. That's He's true. still working. My friends okay. with the Rolling Stones. I ran into a friend of mine last night who plays bass with the Rolling Stones. He's from Chicago. Uh, he's been with them for twenty something years. Uh, Rolling Stones are still working.
0: That
1: Rolling is true. Are still working. They're okay. a '60s band. They come from the '60s. Hmm. It's 2023. They're still working. So there's something to be said for artist development and fundamentals and just you know, yeah, that's true. Sorry to get on my soapbox. <laughs>
0: no, not at all. I mean, that's why I asked. I, actually, one of my um, fr- family friends went to a Metallica concert in in LA. I think a month ago, and yeah, mm-hmm. and it's Metallica, but they sold out um the stadium for seventy eight thousand people.
1: So, like, yeah, no, you know, a lot of my life- friends went, and a lot of the people that work that I worked with with Gaga were there and they were telling me how amazing the show was
0: right so I mean you know I think the artist development that then leads to legacy artists that can you know has that longevity of every generation still appreciates the music and and has their own kind of love and appreciation for the music no matter where they're from how old they are what generation they're from I think it's it's quite incredible and and we are kind of missing it in our current generation
1: of artists, which
0: yeah, you know, good, we're hoping to find a few of those, you know, yeah. good
1: stories in our generation. I mean, we're looking and we're taking our time and, and doing what yeah. we do. What What has also happened, if I may just add to that, because of what you just said, the mm-hmm. generational thing, What what's happened now is, I mean, when Metallica first started, I mean, you know, those guys can play and those guys are good and they really, they're authentic to what they do. And people feel that. And Mm -hmm. the the thing that has happened now is, I I say this in in interviews a lot, is that I feel like the humanity is being stripped from the music. What do I mean by that? Like, you know, I'm not saying that all music should be real instruments and everybody should play and it should do that. But The advantage of that is there's actually a real human being playing it, which means once it goes out, a real human being is going to feel it. So Mm -hmm. now what's happening is, you know, drum machines. I mean, I grew up with drum machines as well. So I'm not I'm not against that. I'm not nostalgic in my thinking. Like It should all be. No. But that doesn't mean like if you have a drum machine, everything is perfect and it's perfectly quantized, as we call it. And, you know, then the chords are cut and paste. So it's the first chord and it's the same snapshot from the first chord to the last shot all the way through the song. There's no movement. There's no flexing. There's no ebb and flow. It's just the same exact copy and paste. And then now the vocals, the, the only thing that was really real on the track is now auto-tuned and Melodyne and, and and fixed. So everything now on the track is perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's just not human. You know, right. b- just because you can use a computer to fix it doesn't mean you should. So you should have the skills enough to be able to input something in a human way as to not make it feel stagnant and stale and robotic and you know, AI, if you will. Like it, 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 a lot of the humanity is being stripped from the music today for convenience sake. And um, to me, that's a mistake because you won't get the generational uh, kids that will feel that because every generation feels a different thing, but they, every generation feels authenticity. Mm-hmm. They feel your truth. And that's why Metallica yeah. still has fans. That's why Springsteen still has fans. That's why the Rolling right. Stones still have fans.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, you just finished a residency for Gaga's, you know, jazz. Yes. Performances. I feel like that's very human. I guess live, live performance yeah, live instruments.
1: Yeah, she, she she calls me cuz you know, I'm conducting the 30 piece or 31 piece now I added a percussionist to it and and her and, mm-hmm. and she says michael's the 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 human click track like it's just my baton and mm-hmm. we count the songs off and some of these songs are almost a hundred years old that we're performing okay. you know you know ellington and all these you know great uh you know cole and all these great you know composers and songwriters of the day and then we mix them with, with with her songs and she's playing piano but she's just she's playing piano singing like there's no nobody's pressing play and right. you know we have not ever done a not sold out show like all of her shows are sold out everybody comes to see this show you know her regular fans, her new fans, people that didn't know she could sing, and people that, that didn't know she could do this this type of music. They always come back. This, and I don't know how these kids were affording, but it, she she mentioned to me on the stage, she's like, you know, this kid has been here for the, our last six five five six shows, and he no. was. Every show in the first row. It was too. Wow, years. that's really impressive. I was, I was like, wow, so much that that she noticed, and right? Me, it got her attention. Yeah, got her attention on stage and 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 was talking to me. It was, it was hilarious. But you know, they look young, but they were there to enjoy uh, what was a human experience. Yeah,
0: beautiful. And so, what what has your experience been working with so many? female artists of of our generation like what do you think is their through line of excellence because i mean you've worked with almost every you know incredible female artist in the world
1: yeah i still want one it's on my on my bucket list i say this in every interview just in case she sees it barbara streisand (laughs) barbara streisand
0: yes please my my mom has been dying to see her perform live but i don't think she does anymore so.
1: i if she ever does i would just like to do one i could conduct i could play piano like whatever it is i would love to to do that uh the through line of excellence for all the female artists out, i miss mean, so many there's so many from whitney to jay to gaga to Renee Fleming, (laughs) Shania, I just worked with recently, which was, I mean, I worked with her before. Aretha, Mm -hmm. Mariah, there's so many. Um, Gladys Knight, one of my favorites, Nancy Wilson. Nancy, Nancy was always fun. Bonnie Raitt. Uh, I'm just going in my head, uh, Pat Benatar, I just worked with. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Vincent, I just worked with. Cheryl Crow, who I always love working with. Melissa Etheridge always kills it. Uh, there's so many, and it's, it's a wide range I even just named. Right. And the through line to me, uh, like, so for a, a certain generation, it didn't matter, like, for me, if you were a girl, boy, black, white, it didn't, like it didn't matter as long as you could play. So that's all we cared about. But I think once the artists get to where they are and they experience, you know, the misogyny and all the things that happen in in any business, not even just music, is that they have to be better than, you know, not only the men, just be better. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what I, I think a through line through most of them is work ethic like Madonna's work ethic is just, I don't think anybody can match that until I met JLo and then her work ethic, like, and they all have it in their, in, in their own ways. And I think uh, it was just to be better, um, right. not just seen as a woman in the business, but seeing, you know, as worthy and talented and on the par of anybody else that's in this business. Um, so that was great. Um, you know, there's always a nurturing aspect. Um, you know, sometimes there's a stubborn aspect. <laughs> yeah. that, you know, there's a stubbornness. Uh, but and how I, do you
0: get through? How do you, you get know, through this?
1: You know what it? You know what it is. I, I was I was born with patience. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't realize that that would be such an asset in this business as mm-hmm. it is now. But I was I was born with patience. Um, but I was also raised in a way that if you believe in something, you just stick up for it. You stand. So I've never been a sycophant in my life, and I'm never a yes person. So if mm-hmm. I believe something to be so, I will let you know, and I don't really care who you are. Okay. And so especially if you hire me to do a job for you, if I'm leading you. Well, you should let me speak to you in a manner that will help you. I'm not just yeah. going to yes you to death. And so, if it's if it's horrible, if it's whack, I don't you know, I don't think it's going to make you look, uh, you know, in the best light. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to speak up. And if you just insist, and then I will just insist more. <laughs> like, and just, it's just most artists respect that. You know, I know I know Madonna told me she did. Uh, when I, when I first got in her band, I was just in the band. I was just, I did a whole world tour, then I became her music director. And that was one of the reasons why she wanted me to be, because I asked and she says, well, you don't, you don't take ish from me and you tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. And I actually, I really respect that because a lot of people don't speak up to these, these type of artists. And you know, I don't. I don't always win. I don't always get my way. And you know, you know, Gaga has her ideas of what she wants, and you know, she'll say that. And I'll say, well, I see where you're going, but maybe we'll get there a better way if we try it this way. And she'll try it if she likes it. She, she likes it. If She doesn't. She'll be like, no, let's try it my way. And, and I'll try it, and maybe I'll learn something, or we'll come. You know, it's all about compromise. But I, I think if they respect you, mm-hmm. it's easier. And I've right. always had the respect of of most of the artists I worked with, you know, if not all of them. Right.
0: Okay. Yeah. thank you. Um, I guess another interesting aspect of of some of the artists that you've worked with, from you know Michael Jackson and and Whitney Houston, is is the loss of you know very young life in the music industry, which. I don't think has necessarily even slowed down with with our generation and, and the loss of some artists that we've kind of grown up listening to as well um, what has like your experience been with that just in 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 witnessing it you know quite firsthand with with Michael mm-hmm. and that this is it concert and maybe the grief that you experience and and maybe helping other generations who you know, might be battling things internally or, you know.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I also have for this generation. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, this young generation has has lost a lot of artists Mm -hmm. uh, that I really liked, actually, like Mac Miller and, Mm -hmm. you know, people like that. Um, So young, it just was, to me, on the precipice of really doing something out there. And everybody that I talked to who knew Mac, uh, I didn't know him, just adored him as a person. Even like I, I spoke to John Mayer about him. John John was telling me about how he just really liked him so much. Uh, I think witnessing this up close, especially like Nick, Whitney, she like I said earlier, she came to me at a time when I needed somebody like her. Uh I always say this and it always asks everybody always asked the question, well, how she saved my life. And that's a whole nother long story that I won't get into here. But so when she passed, uh, it really hit me in a way that I did not think that it would. Uh even, even I dare say, even more so than Michael. Um, uh, although Michael was traumatic for me, um it took me three years, three, four years before I could listen to a Michael Jackson song all the way mm-hmm. through. It just I just didn't want to hear it like i it just was too close too too much for me. Um, I, it was just my way of grieving. I was the music director at the time that he passed, and so I was leading everybody, so I had to be strong for everybody. We did the the funeral on live, on CNN to billions mm-hmm. of people. I had to put that together. It was a show, but it was also a memorial. And, you know, it was a lot. So once all of this was finally over, I was able to process it and I wasn't able to process. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. it was it was hard. And Whitney was the same thing. And I think in both their instances, Michael more so than Nip, is that they were so famous so young and it was hard for them to deal with. You know the fandom, the expectations of of labels, and and even family, and and all of that, and then mental healthness wasn't on on the radar as much as it is now, which is one thing I I'm grateful about this generation is that everybody's actually aware of it and trying to take the stigma away from it, which is wonderful, um, and it's something that we do here at the label, you know, quite well, yeah. and so. Um. Yeah, it's just you know they dealt with all of this excess and Especially Michael. He and I would have almost exhaustive talks about fame and what it does, and you know, mm-hmm. just 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 how he moved in his life. Uh, sometimes he dealt with it. he dealt with it really well. I remember leaving. Uh, I think we were out in Inglewood when this happened, and we were leaving. We often left late at night. So it was like two in the morning or something like that, three, almost three in the morning. And there was still a little few fans hanging outside, Mm -hmm. like six or seven. And Michael stopped, had them stop his car, was behind in my car. He got out, uh, took photos with them, signed their posters and Hung out with him and talked for a minute. You know, they they were hugging him and crying, of course. And then he spent a good ten to fifteen minutes just with the fans, and then got back in his car, said bye to them, and then left. And you know, of course, it wasn't like five thousand; it was only like right. a handful, so he could handle that in security. Right. Yeah, you know they they liked that, but he he handled it as well as he could be. But he's been famous since he was a boy, so. Right. You know, so just hanging, hanging around these guys. Prince was the same. You know, Prince was a friend. I hung out with him in his house and talked about, you know, whatever was happening in the day. He liked to talk about music a lot um, and what was happening. He's already, he's, he said some of the things that I've already said here as far as the humanity and, you know, being able to play and, and all that thing. You can find some interviews online with him talking like that. But we used to talk in his house like that all the time. And his was a shock for me. I just contacted him or have been in contact with him about three weeks or so before that happened. Wow, um, Four weeks, maybe. Uh, we were going to get up and, and reconnect after his piano tour that he was doing. So I don't know. It's just, it's just so much, you never know. And I don't go home with the artists, you know, I've been to their home. Yeah. But I don't, I don't hang out with them. So I don't know what they're going through and what they're doing. And, and so to cope with whatever they have to cope with. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just, I would just say to put a button on it. I'm just glad that this generation is more aware of mental health um, issues
0: Yeah. I think we're definitely taking the stigma away from it. So yeah, I think little by little, hopefully it'll help me. I mean, just even having these conversations about the awareness of it and that, you know, even the incredible greats of our past generation, you know, we're dealing with it as well. I guess my last question is something that we do on all of our Gwen Huddle episodes is um, asking an icebreaker question. And so Uh for you... (laughs) in the world of music directing and, and from your many years of experience what is a quality of an artist that would actually deter you from working with them
1: ooh ooh that's a great question um laziness hmm. you know you deal with artists egos and, you know, all of that. I won't get into all of that. There's some that are more arrogant than others. There's some that are just straight-up narcissists. There's some that are really quite humble and all that. All of that comes with this, you know, because music directors and musicians and singers, we all have egos as well. You just, you kind of have to, to be a creative. You just kind of have to. That doesn't mean you have to be, you know, a megalomania sociopath about it. It just means you just, you just march to your own beat and you synthesize the world in a a different way. But what I, what I absolutely can't tolerate is giving a bunch of, you know, barking a bunch of commands and things to do. And then you as an artist, don't do them yourself. Mm. You're lazy too. You just, you know, You just want stuff to happen and you just you don't put any effort in into what you're doing, especially today's artists, to be honest, because there's so much attention. I mean, uh, uh, competition for your attention with gaming and phones and social media and, you know, sports and, you know. All the you know every you know reality show <laughs> like there's so yeah. this so streaming there's so much for your attention you know for you to get noticed as an artist you got to put in some damn work you can't right. just you can't get signed and then think the record company is going to do everything on um, the yeah. label or it's a partnership and you have to you have to do some work and so that deters me faster than anything from wanting to work with somebody uh, as if they're lazy and they just don't understand that nobody cares about your career more than you. So right. if, you don't, if you don't get up every day thinking about your career and, you know, being proactive and, you know, contacting it, whoever you're in partnership with and, you know, taking an initiative to do things and present things and all that, what are you doing this for? And you really have to do it more, more than ever. And I would even say the popular ones still need to do it as well. The mm-hmm. popular one. Like, so if you take Taylor Swift, for instance, Taylor is probably the most famous artist in the world right now. Right. Uh, Beyonce is there. You know, Everybody, uh, there's, there's all the fam- famous ones I could name. Mm-hmm. And they're there. But Taylor has taken it to a different level now because she still does a lot of work on her own. She'll answer uh, requests from her fans to sing at their wedding and just right. go and do it, you know, without getting paid and, you know, set up these camps. You know, she, t- she, she, she raises whole economies when she comes into the city. Uh, and she, yeah, she's she, incredible. She's just- she just built this whole communal thing. And that's not by accident. That's intentional. She, she meant to do that. Regardless of what one thinks about her music or her talent or whatever that is, she understood the assignment of connecting with her fans and, you know, doing her music and not even, you know, she's true to what she does. Even her re-recording all of her, her mm-hmm. old music. Right. To me, that's extra like what artist would do that. Oh, you you're not gonna give me my, my, my master's back or you're not gonna oh really okay, I'm just gonna re-record all. Right. Well, that's not lazy. Mm-hmm. That's that's caring about what you do and what you put out in the world. I mean, it's also a business, you know, a business move. But some artists just would not do that. I don't feel like going to the studio and redoing all that. Taylor's like, yeah, whatever. I'm just gonna re-record 1989. No, that's, right. That's, I think especially
0: as like a female in the industry, seeing her really fight for what's hers. Yes. That's a great example. Um, yes. So that's been great to see. But yes. I think it—it's something I think that we also have conversations with with our artists that you know when you come and sign to Gwen it is a fifty-fifty partnership. You know, it, it's a fifty-fifty night royalty splits. You can't give up when you sign to us. We can't do a hundred percent of the work. It's. It's your art. It's your music. That's right. You need to promote your music just as much as we do or else, you know, what we what we do kind of falls on on deaf ears. Like no one's going to do anything with it. So it's hard. But um, again, all the conversations we we need to actively have with, with artists in the industry. But yes, we're all in it together.
1: We're all in it together. I mean, if that was the case, why did you even seek a label? Right. Just, just so. go out and do you know, no diss to tune core and no diss to dis. Like just go out and do that and do it on yourself. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But right. you 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 sought out a label for a reason. Mm-hmm. Do the work. Yep. Do the work.
0: <laughs> Help <laughs> us. Do it it's fifty yeah. fifty. But yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a partnership. So has its yeah. ups and downs for sure. Yes. Yes.
1: yes. yes.
0: But um. Thank you, Michael. That's that's all I had for today. So I appreciate you joining us on the Quinn Huddle.
1: Thank you. Peace, everybody.